Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St. Oswald's Haberfield Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Well, this morning we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Anastasia Day. Resurrection Day. And it seems to me that uh, this is both, at the same time, the single most important day of the year and the most misunderstood day of the year. The single most important day of the year, because without it, everything else just falls apart, but the most understood, misunderstood day of the year uh, by the general population around us, by our culture. It's quite a natural misunderstanding, I think, but it's devastating and evacuates Jesus of any real significance. And you might speculate that that's precisely why it's so prevalent. It's in order to keep Jesus at arm's length. And the misunderstanding of the resurrection is this, that the resurrection of Jesus is first and foremost a symbol. It symbolises the way that there is always opportunity for a fresh start. It symbolises the way that there's always the chance of a new beginning, hope after darkness, that after sufferings come opportunity, after breakdown comes renewal, and that this is the cycle of nature, the pattern of things. And so we go on, you see. You'll, you'll hear it probably a dozen times a day. If you listen to any radio stations or any TV, you watch any kind of commentary, uh, read any newspaper articles about the resurrection, and it'll talk about it in these symbolic uh, terms. And so you go on, you see, with a little more spring in your step. Yes. Things turn around. Now, that is a comforting idea, and if you close your eyes to the way the world actually works, you could just about believe it. Because the simple truth is that the world doesn't work like that at all. It's just not the case. The world, on the whole, is a brutal place where one species colonises the habitat of another species, and it is the fittest and strongest and meanest who survive. The dissolution and decay and death are terribly common and terribly final. You see, the thing about symbols is that they are ideas, and usually just ideas, ideas that float around in your head and perhaps in your heart, but in themselves don't do anything, don't achieve anything, don't actually make a difference. And what I want to bring to you today is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the exact opposite from that. It's the opposite of an idea. It is a claim about literal history, something that if you had a video recorder at the right time and at the right place, you could have captured it on film. In the first of the Apostle Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, we read of him indicating that they did in fact have the first century equivalent of a video camera at the right time and at the right place. That Jesus appeared to various of his inner circle of friends and then at one point to 500 people, far too many for any kind of mass hallucination or any nonsense like that. What's more, remember uh, that when the Apostle wrote that letter, it was only about 20 years after the event, certainly within living memory of them, and unless Paul was talking real facts, he simply could not get away with that kind of claim. They were mostly still alive. They could fact-check him. And the point is this. The reason that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is literal history is above all because it was an achievement, a massive Achievement, the greatest victory ever won, the most powerful moment in the history 
of the universe equivalent to the Big Bang in cosmic scope and importance. That's the claim of the New Testament. And if it didn't happen, if with flesh and blood Jesus didn't leave the tomb, then as the Apostle Paul himself says, you and I and everyone else gathering in churches today all around the world in situations of relative peace and calm or in situations of deep distress and darkness, we're pathetic. We're pathetic. The most pathetic of all people, to the most to be pitied because we have pinned our hope to a puff of air, a symbol. So I want to get to the heart of Easter uh, by asking the question, why the resurrection? What if Jesus did the only thing that everyone else before or since has done, which is to die and just stay dead? What difference does the resurrection make? Because when we get a hold of that, we'll be grasping the true meaning and power of Easter Day. So the first thing is that if Jesus didn't leave the tomb, then death would have won. Very important to say this, right from the word go. If Jesus didn't leave the tomb, then death would have won. It certainly looks like death wins. Uh, Just take a moment. Um, Death gets everyone, absolutely everyone, every living creature, every plant, every animal, every mum, every dad, every friend. It gets every star, every company, every empire, eventually Everything, everything dies. Death is the one sure bet in life. Death is destiny. The thing about Jesus is that he looks awfully like the one person who death would have no actual claim on. He was the one person who lived what you might call an uninfected life, a life of utter and absolute purity. And if he's stuck in the grave, if death claims even him, then there could be no hope whatsoever for the likes of you and me, don't you think? And there is a philosophy that has the courage to acknowledge this brutal fact. It's called nihilism. It comes from the word nihil, or nothing, the view that everything comes to nothing. And therefore, if, if that's true, if that's the case, there is no lasting value, there is no purpose, there is no meaning. On, on this view, nihilism, there's just power and pleasure. And the basic fact of life is that since you too will come to nothing, might be tomorrow, might be several decades away, but it will happen, don't you be in any doubt about that. Therefore, you might as well experience maximum pleasure and exercise maximum power. And if you happen to define pleasure and power in conventional and socially acceptable ways, that's lovely for you. And if you happen to define it in unconventional ways which cause damage to yourself or to others, then there's nothing much that can be said about it. After all, death wins. Going to die anyway? What difference does it make? Now, if there's no resurrection, then it seems to me that nihilism makes sense. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then only nihilism makes sense. Anything else is just a lack of courage. At least that's a claim of Friedrich Nietzsche the great nihilist philosopher. But because the truth is that Jesus did rise from the grave, the power of death is broken. Not not just delayed 
or kept at bay, but absolutely smashed. You see, there are, there are plenty of people who have had near-death experiences. You know, sometimes you make a lot of them, and every now and again there's a you know, Channel 9 expose of near-death experiences, and woo-woo. And even some in Scripture who we read about were brought back from the dead. The, the son of the widow in a town called Nain, even Jesus' friend Lazarus, brought back from the dead. But actually, they just delayed the inevitable. The near-death experiences, guess what? They had a nearer-death experience a bit later on. In wonderful contrast, Jesus' resurrection was not a return. He didn't come back from the dead. He smashed through death. He crashed through it. He smashed through it into life, the life of glory. And that changes everything. It means that death doesn't win. Not for him. Death doesn't win its victory over him and those who are connected to him. It means that there is lasting value. It means that there is ultimate meaning. It means that there is true significance. It means that you can side with life and joy and what is right and good, even if it costs you terribly, and be confident that God will vindicate you in that, just as he has vindicated Jesus. It's the first thing that Easter Day means, that God has done something He's defeated death. It doesn't win. So if Jesus hadn't left the tomb, then death would have won and the world would be without any hope. But the second thing is that we ourselves would still be in our sins. The Apostle Paul is emphatic about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, he says. Why is that? Why would you still be in your sins if Jesus hadn't been raised? We we tend to think that it's the cross of Christ that deals with our sins. That is where he took our place under the judgment of God and bore them to hell. And that's true, but it's not the whole truth. If Christ wasn't raised, he had died, but if he hadn't hadn't been raised, then we would still be in our sins. Why? Think about it this way. When when you do something wrong, when you hurt someone you care about and know you need to make up, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you try to find an excuse for why you did the thing in the first place, but when that doesn't work, you muster up the courage and you say the all-important words, right? What are the, the important words? I'm sorry. But what's interesting is that that's only half the story. Things are still to be sorted out until the other person says back to you, that's okay. The I'm sorry has to be met with a that's okay. Until then, the business of making things right hasn't happened yet. The death of Jesus on the cross, the darkness of Good Friday, is Jesus saying to God on our behalf, I'm sorry. It's him stepping into our place, him taking up our responsibility, him shouldering the dreadful burden of our sins and giving himself in sacrifice to God. But what the apostle is saying is that without Easter Day, without the answer from God, it would be a failure. Easter Day, you see, is God saying back to Jesus, for the sake of us all, 
It's okay. We're okay. You see the same thing in Jesus' final words to the disciples uh, in Luke chapter 24, Luke's great commission, if you like. Uh, The logic of it is governed by what is called a divine necessity. In verse 44, the must-be that we read there is literally, it was necessary. It's, It's a divine necessity. That necessity, as deep and certain as God himself, carries on. It was necessary that Jesus die. And it was necessary that Jesus rise. And those two necessities together mean that there is the forgiveness of sins. That's what they add up to together, which it is necessary to proclaim. Now, maybe that uh, some who have never actually done decisive business with God in this regard. I, I suspect many people sort of wander through life with a standard sort of religious experience. They don't need to be persuaded of the existence of God. After all, that's pretty obvious. But then again, they don't have a great deal to do with him either, kind of mutual respect at a distance policy. But Easter changes all of that. Easter is God up close to us, not at a distance. God exposing the reality of our spiritual state under sin as leading to nothing but hell, the hell of God forsakenness, the place Jesus went for us on the cross. And together, Good Friday and Easter Day confront the comfortable distance policy and require of us a response. It might be a loud and clear, no, I reject this. I reject this analysis of my moral state. I'm a decent person, really. Jesus' journey to that cross was a waste of time. He didn't need to do it after all. I don't need that. I'm better than that. That's a legitimate response, actually. Or it might be a humbled and joyous yes, which is followed by a total and utter reorientation of your life around Jesus' agenda for you rather than your own. That's a legitimate response. But the one thing that isn't available is a kind of muddling along that goes on basically as though nothing much has happened. And so I want to ask you directly, have you done decisive business with God like that? That yes. And perhaps today today could be the day. As you, You come to communion in a moment. Hands open and empty expressing a heart that is open and empty before God, longing to be filled with his grace, longing to be filled with Jesus, hearing in him God's magnificent yes to you. Because Christ is raised, you don't need to still be in your sins. The resurrection defeats death. It closes the deal on the forgiveness of our sins. And thirdly, without the resurrection, we're just left in our confusion. If there is no resurrection, then we still have the question open before us, what is the right path for life? Who is a leader worth following? What does the religious search comprise? Where does it take us? And the thing about confusion is it enables you to sit on the fence. But when confusion ends, it's decision time. On one occasion, the Apostle Paul went to Athens uh, to the hill of Ares, uh, the so-called Areopagus, and he gave a lecture. Uh, It began in standard enough form. There is one God who made the heavens and the earth, who lives not in temples or churches made by engineers, but in heaven. And so he's not to be worshipped as a statue. He's spirit. And, And the listeners in Athens, they loved it. Why? Because they know that, well, we know. We're all searching. At one level, we're all searching. What's the right way to live your life? 
And then Paul gets to the end, verse 31 of Acts chapter 17. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And suddenly among them, it's very uncomfortable. Because they realise that what he's saying is that the search is over. He's here, the apostle is saying. The one for whom you've been searching, it's time for decision. Resurrection means that Christianity is claiming something utterly unique. That Jesus has broken through death and so is the Son of God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the triumphant and victorious one who holds the keys to life because he's broken death. And when the search is over, when resurrection happens, the day of repentance is here. Every other religious leader, David, the Buddha, Muhammad, every other guru or teacher is rotting in the grave. You see the importance of this, don't you? God was content to let them all, good though they may have been, die and rot. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. All other religions point to life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one to whom everyone else is pointing, so stop searching now. Repent. It's why the resurrection is so in your face. The only way you'll ever... Get past death, says Jesus, is through me. The only way you can deal responsibly with your conscience and obtain forgiveness and peace is through me. And God has overlooked the times of ignorance. But now with resurrection, there is no excuse anymore. The evidence is irrefutable and he calls everyone everywhere to repent, to come to him, to bow down before him because he will be your judge. He is the one who gets to pronounce the verdict over your life, not you. Not you. You don't have that right. You you can't do governance of yourself. We know that. Not you. It's above your pay grade to judge yourself. He will judge you. And the question is, will you accept that now or will you experience it later? So if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then death would have won. We would still be in our sins and the religious search would still be on. But since he is raised, raised in glory, it means that death has been smashed in two. We are free from our sins and the search is over. We've reached the centre of the maze or at least the centre of the maze has come to us. And there are two more things that we need to just take note of briefly. Two things which follow from the very specific fact that Jesus was raised in a body, the same body that went into the tomb also came out of the tomb. That's why the tomb's empty. Do you understand the significance of that phrase, the empty tomb? It's because the same body that went in is the body that came out. So think of it this way. If Jesus didn't leave the tomb, if the body just stayed in the tomb and Jesus sort of came back to a, a, a spiritual life only, then it would be right to talk about what we often hear this phrase, remember, going to heaven when you die. Have you heard that phrase? I mean, have you used that phrase? Going to heaven when you die. Without the bodily resurrection of Jesus, 
All we could hope for is a floaty soul kind of future, a sort of disembodied point of consciousness experience in a cloud somewhere. Although clouds turn out to be very heavy, so I don't know why we think about you know, clouds, but, but anyway, there you go. And the thing is that if that's the case, then you have only so much time to make the most of this world so you've got to suck the marrow out of life. Do you, do you see that? If all you are is a soul, I don't know that souls have a lot of fun, right? There's no nerve endings on souls. I don't, I don't taste And it seems to me that so many people live quietly desperate lives, afraid that they're going to miss out. Miss out on family, miss out on sex, miss out on travel, miss out on all these experiences. Touch the sky. And we have a a phrase for this fear that you miss out. Ready? Uh, There's two two actually. Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. And then there's another one which is YOLO, you only live once. You only live once. And Easter says, don't be ridiculous. You see the point? Because Jesus was raised from the dead and in him you too will be raised from the dead, you won't miss out on anything. It's your dolt. You do live twice. You're adult. You can quote me on that one. You do live twice. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the future for those who are his people. The future is not some kind of floaty heaven. Uh, One of my uh, jobs as an occupational hazard is what's called the interment of ashes. When you go to a crematorium, you get turned into ashes, and then we've got a a little park over at St John's, and we dig a hole and we put the ashes in the hole. And, and I, it's, it's amazing how difficult it is to dislodge the idea that what Christians think is happening is that your soul goes to heaven when you die. That's just, I, I don't know where your soul goes when you die. I don't care, actually, where your soul goes when you die. Who, who cares? That's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is that you'll be raised from the dead. That you will receive a glorified and transformed, resurrected body just like Jesus. As as the disciples saw, he had hands and feet. You could touch him and hold him. Uh, He eats and drinks. Presumably he metabolizes and spirates and all of that good stuff. And that means something profoundly important. It means you can relax. It means you can sacrifice. It means you can be faithful. It means you can let people impose on you and you can give your money away and you can sit back and you can relax and you don't have to work 100 hours a week because you are not going to miss out on anything. The best wine and food and travel you can enjoy now, the highest, greatest experience and high you can have now, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what you are going to be like in glory. You can live without regrets, without fears. You have no problem with sacrifice because your future is a glorious physical future, not some disembodied intellectual soul. Your feet will touch the ground in the kingdom of God. They won't float. You will march and dance and hug and love and eat and drink. You won't miss out on anything. And therefore you don't need to grab hold of every experience now before you die. You can relax. This world is not all there is. 
you have a far more glorious world to come. And so one final thing. If Jesus never left the tomb, if God just abandoned him to the grave, then it would make sense to be compartmentalised, to have your spiritual life and then to have your ordinary workaday life, to do the God thing on Sunday and then to do your thing on the rest of the week. But because Jesus rose, because Jesus redeemed that little bit of creation, which is his body, it means that God's commitment to this actual world is absolute. In other words, this world is worth fighting for. Listen how C.S. Lewis put this in uh, that marvellous book, Mere Christianity, which has got all the quotes you've ever heard from C.S. Lewis in the one book. It's just really great. And uh, so here's one. Uh, he's reflecting on uh, these issues from a slightly different angle, um, the idea that uh, the world and God are the same, called pantheism, but it's actually making the same point. Listen to what Lewis says. He says, If you do not take the distinction between good and bad very seriously, then it's easy to say that anything you find in this world is a part of God. But, of course, if you think some things really are bad and God really is good, then you cannot talk like that. You must believe that God is separate from the world and that some of the things we see in it are contrary to his will. Confronted with a cancer or a slum, the pantheist can say, if you could only see it from a different and divine point of view, you'd realise that this also is God. The Christian replies... Don't talk damned nonsense. Now, you've got to remember that mid-20th century England, damned was about the most offensive swear word that they could possibly muster. And in fact, Lewis had people criticise him for saying that. Don't talk damned nonsense. And he goes on, For Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks that God made the world, that space and time and heat and cold and all the colours and tastes and all the animals and vegetables are thing, things that God created but it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. Do you see his point? The world is not an illusion to be seen through. It's not a temptation or a weight to be escaped. This world is extremely important because of the resurrection. And it means that when we see someone suffering, when we see a child in poverty or a homeless person, you say to yourself, I'm going to do something about that. It matters because Easter means that God doesn't abandon this world. He comes to heal and redeem it bodily. And so we're a fighting religion. We fight. We care. We give. Do you see the why of resurrection? Without it, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death would have won. We would still be in our sins. We would still be in our confusion. It would make sense to be desperate and to seal off our lives in separate compartments. Or in other words, no resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no Christianity. Just another interesting religious teacher. And the invitation to try your hardest to live now in a way that will float you off to heaven when you die. But this Easter, put these misunderstandings behind us and hear the call of God to live in resurrection life, to not side with death and hopelessness, to know the pure joy of a clean conscience, to bring your life to this one who is Lord, to get hold of the fact that the future is physical, transformed, and so you can live overflowing with generosity and peace since you won't miss out on a thing.
Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.